Good morning, Harvest. I trust you were blessed last week. Uh, Chairman of our elders, Ken Henley, preached on praying for physical healing. Um, The vast majority of the prayer requests we get every week in our friendship registers are for physical healing for someone or for someone they love. So if you weren't here last week to hear that sermon on how Ken and Debbie have walked by faith uh, through, um, through decades of asking the Lord to meet their physical needs. You've got to go online and hear that sermon, okay? Uh, all of our sermons are available online and on our app. Did you know we have an app? If you don't have our phone or our app on your phone, you can get it after the sermon because I don't want you to get distracted on your phone right now. Before you know it, you'll be playing Angry Birds. You know it's true. So just <laughs> after the sermon, you can go get our app. But check that sermon out, all right? And we really want you to be informed on what James what God is saying to us through the book of James. Now, in chapter 5, as we close out the book, James is shepherding us on prayer. He's helping us to grow in our prayer life. Uh, Raise your hand if you feel like your prayer life is an A plus right now. Nobody raised their hand. If you had raised your hand, I would have sent you home because you apparently are perfect and the rest of us are still learning. And so just... But we all have to grow in prayer, right? So James is talking to us about prayer. And uh, I want to give you, uh, just as an intro here, a quick couple of tips on how your prayer life can be improved. You can write these down. Uh, If you want your prayer life to really be improved, one of the things you can do is get this book called The Valley of Vision. I mentioned it earlier in the year. Uh, I started reading through it. It's a book filled with Puritan prayers. And boy, you can't get through more than one or two of these a day because they're so insightful, and maybe like me, you, you find it hard to actually pray what's in your brain in a, in a creative, in a meaningful way to God. Well, these authors have just done such a good job of writing out these prayers to God, and it'll help your own soul, and it'll help your prayer life to increase in quality, all right? We're going to actually open a store here at Harvest in a few weeks, and we're going to sell this here, but you can get it online now. It's called the Valley of Vision, and that'll improve your prayer life. The next suggestion I have is every month we put a, uh, a daily prayer guide <clears throat> on our Welcome Center table right outside the door. So what you find is a different prayer request for a different Harvest Church every day. Some of these churches have launched, some of them have not launched yet. But if you're feeling like, oh, I'm praying the same thing every day, same thing, routine, boring prayer life, hey, look, you wake up to a new prayer need every day, and then there's a new one of these every month. So stop by the welcome table, get your monthly prayer guide. You can get it now, but towards the beginning of the month, make sure you pick up a new one and uh, get praying for the churches um, all around the world. Another suggestion I have for you is if you've never tried prayer journaling, try keeping a prayer journal. Uh, if you write out your prayers to God, chances are they're going to be, uh, there's going to be a greater variety and a greater depth because you have to sit there and you have time to think of what you're going to say. One of my professors at Moody Bible Institute prayer journaled, and he suggested that we try, and I tried that. And uh, now for, boy, probably uh, close to 10 years, I've been prayer journaling, and it has, it has really revolutionized the quality of my prayers. If you're an idealist, don't buy a prayer journal and expect to write in it 10 pages every day, all right? Start with two. Get two pages done, a little writing, you know, each day, um, and, and God will start to show you over time 
how he's at work in your life. Um, A last suggestion I have if you want to grow your prayer life is specifically to learn to pray for forgiveness. And the whole sermon is based on this right now. The quality of your prayer life will go up if you learn how to pray for forgiveness. God wants to clear out the besetting sins that are holding you back, but he can't unless you're honest with him about your true spiritual condition. So today we're going to learn how to pray for forgiveness together. Let's pray, and then we'll learn about prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you that you invite us, you beckon us into your presence. We know, Lord, that we fall short of your will, but here you are inviting us to come to you, promising that we will be forgiven. We ask that you would grow us in this habit, this skill, this discipline, and form our church, Lord, to be a church where we're honest with you and with each other. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, open up to James chapter 5, verse 15. James 5, verse 15. Last week we covered uh, sickness in particular. Are you sick? You should pray. You should involve the elders in that. Um, begins in James 5, 15, where he says, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, I'm not going to go back and preach all of last week's message, but the point is this. If you're struggling with physical illness, get your church involved. Don't go it alone. Ask people to pray for you. If you're struggling with physical sickness, that's a time where God wants to work through your church. So let your physical trials turn you towards God, not away from him. And the the verses last week weren't just about you praying. It was about getting your church leaders to pray for you. So don't run and hide. Ask people to pray for you because God wants to deal with your physical illness. Now, James starts to talk about spiritual illness. He says, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. The Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. There's this hypothetical if here, like this guy is bedridden, can't even get up. Elders have to go to him, anoint him with oil, deal with the, you know, the physical sickness. And James is like, and maybe there's deeper problems in his life. Now, it's not an automatic. Sometimes we get too paranoid. Oh, what did I do to deserve this? Is God mad at me? Why did I get that bad diagnosis? I must have sinned. I must have sinned. No, it's not an automatic. But there are times where you see these elders gathering around a sheep And they're not just concerned about the person's physical wellness. They're concerned about his spiritual wellness. All right? While we're here, how's your life, your spiritual walk with the Lord? I mean, what good is it if we just got you healthy if you're stuck in sin? So the portrait here is the leaders of the church caring for the physical and spiritual needs of the flock. And the flock wanting God to care for for their spiritual and physical needs. Um, It says prayer of faith, which means when we pray, we have to pray in faith. And we can't just pray for physical physical needs. We also have to bring our spiritual needs to the Lord. Um, Somebody once said that sin is to the soul what cancer is to the body. Jesus was always concerned with the spiritual state of the people who were around him. In fact, he would heal them physically, and then he would tell them, go and sin no more. 
because he was more concerned about their spiritual sickness than he was their physical sickness. So we want God to help us to get healthy physically and spiritually. That happens when we confess our sins to God in prayer. Many people live their entire lives without ever confessing to God that they have lived a life of sin and rebellion. Those people will go off to an eternity of torment apart from God's love because they have never, ever said they're sorry to God for the sins that they have committed. We will be held accountable for every sin we've ever committed in the great judgment. That day is coming. And if you have never said you're sorry to God for all of the sins that you've committed, then you are not in a great place with Him. You have not confessed your sins in prayer to God for the first time. And therefore, God won't hear your prayers for smaller things because you're not in a right relationship to Him. Listen, I can't get up here and say, God will answer your prayers. Pray for your business. Pray for your children. Pray if you've never confessed your sins to Him, none of those prayers matter. Because He doesn't know you as a child yet. Because you haven't confessed your sins to Him. So your relationship with God starts when you're honest to Him about your sin. But it's so hard for us to admit it's so hard for us to tell the truth that we need to be forgiven i was eating breakfast this morning and my son jared who's going into fourth grade out of nowhere said dad uh it uh on judgment day when the book of all of my sins is read are you going to take me into the bathroom and spank me i said i don't know what's in that book What did you do to your sister now? Out of nowhere he says that. How how the spirit grows faith uh, in a young child is, is a bit of a mystery. But here he is out of nowhere thinking about the day when all of his sins will be read in judgment. Wondering if God's gonna if if dad's gonna spank him. And I'm thinking, you're worrying about the wrong father, let me tell you. Right? But do you even worry about that? Do you even think about that? Does that even cross your mind? It's hard for us to admit the truth. Have you been following the Olympics? Have you been following what's going on with our own USA swimming team led by Ryan Lochte? How many of you have heard of that story? So here's a picture of Ryan Lochte. He is is a prima donna and is known for being pretty self-centered and egotistical. As you can see here, it's not enough for him to win a gold medal. He wants to bite down on it with a diamond-encrusted set of grills that he had made up for the last Olympics. It just kind of shows you what he's really there for. Well, he's really famous. I mean, he has the second most medals of all American Olympic athletes in history. Number two. He's also number eight. He has the number eight amount of medals in all of world Olympic history. Tied for eighth. That's a pretty sweet thing to say, right? I mean, wow, what an achievement, what an accomplishment. How would you like to be known for that? But he's not known for that. What he's known for instead is that he and three of his teammates went out, partied after their events, got sloshed, and then came to a gas station in Rio, vandalized the bathroom, uh, trashed the place, and then went out to the car. They were drunk. And then the security guards came out and said, you're going to pay for that. They said, no, we're not. The security guards drew their guns and said, yes, you will. And they gave him like under 100 bucks and then went went back home or went to the Olympic Village. Well, then when Ryan Lochte was interviewed the next day, he claimed that they were pulled over and, and taken out of the car and asked to lay down. 
and, and robbed of hundreds of dollars of money. In fact, somebody cocked the gun and put it on his forehead and demanded that, that he give them money. Now, what's that called when somebody doesn't tell the exact story the way it happened? He lied. Well, then there was an investigation. He got out of the country, went right home, and the other three were stuck behind. Then the police found the footage and found the truth and uh, called the other three swimmers in, took their passports, would not let them leave, and one of them has to pay over $10,000 to get his passport back to get out of the country. Meanwhile, good old Ryan is back home as they're being interrogated. So there was international outcry that Ryan Lochte tell the tell the truth. Say it. Tell the truth. He wouldn't do it. Day after day after day, the investigation's going on. He's just back at home being quiet. His fellow swimmers are taking the fall for his big mouth. He wouldn't say, I lied. So finally, earlier this week, he came out with what some people would call an apology. And check out what ESPN News had to say about that. Mark, what's your reaction to that statement from Ryan Lochte? Long overdue, Sarah. Long overdue. And as far as whether he wanted to see the legal situations of the other three swimmers work themselves out before releasing it, uh, you could bet that Gunnar Bentz, Jack Conger, and Jimmy Fegan would have rather had him apologize before this while they were still looking at the Brazilian authorities across a table. And as far as him wishing he was more candid, well, the Brazilian police have pretty much concluded definitively that he lied. He didn't apologize for lying, and he didn't apologize for doing an interview to jump on the lie on NBC after the original lie. What? Say you're sorry. Tell the truth. The world is demanding it. I like what Conan O'Brien said uh, about this whole incident. He said, only three people on the entire planet have ever said, hold my Olympic medal while I trash this Brazilian gas station. (laughs) How foolish and sinful and embarrassing and humiliating. And when he finally says sorry, you're looking at like a week of delay... The uh, ESPN newscaster says, long, long, long overdue. Boy, what does God think when we have kept him waiting for an apology for crimes far greater than vandalizing a bathroom for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, not saying sorry, long, long overdue. And if the world demands an apology from a punk who vandalizes a bathroom and embarrasses a country, God demands an apology for all of the sins you've ever committed in your life. And if you don't get to the point in your life where you confess you've sinned to a holy God, you will never get to heaven. I have to tell you that. If you bite your tongue and keep your pride and try working however you're thinking of working to earn it by merit and never admit that you are a filthy sinner, a criminal in God's court of law who doesn't deserve to take a step on the streets of gold, you'll never get in. Confess your sins in prayer to God. That's where it all begins. But the good news is he'll forgive, it says in Colossians 2.13, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. I love that picture. 
the record of debt with the legal demands. Your rap sheet nailed to Christ on the cross. That's how he takes it away. Listen, God doesn't forgive you because you're sorry. He forgives you because his son was butchered in your place. Never forget that. Your sentiment doesn't mean anything. But you have to get to the point where you understand and admit your need. Then you see what Christ did to take away your sins. In Romans 8.1, it says, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. If you think that God is going to weigh the scales and find you to be a pretty good person, you're thoroughly deceived. I'm guilty in God's courtroom. I'm spiritually opposed to God's will. I'm hostile to his law. It's criminal how I've behaved toward a holy God who did nothing but love me. I will be justly condemned. But because Jesus died in my place, when God looks at me, he sees his son. And therefore, he sees me as if I've never sinned once in my entire life. That's the righteousness that is required of you if you're going to get into heaven. If your righteousness doesn't surpass that of the Pharisees, you can't get into heaven. If you think God's going to grade on the scale somehow because, you know, other people did worse things than you, God's going to wink at your sin and let you in, you don't understand that sin is a war. Sin is you declaring war on heaven. You can't get in if you're still holding on to any sin. So you have to ask God to save you, and you have to first admit the truth that you need to be saved. Now that's saving faith. That happens in an instant when you confess not not your little sins, but that you're sinful. Then God saves you. In an instant, all of your sins are taken away. What a glorious moment that is. Have you been saved? Can you tell me when you were saved? Many people, when I ask when they're saved, they tell me more of like a journey. Oh, I've been a Christian my whole life, working like you're climbing a ladder or something. No, that's not what a saved person does. Saved person knows that Jesus said, it is finished. You can't work your way into heaven. Once you're saved, saving faith, then you can walk with God. Walking faith. Walking faith doesn't happen until saving faith happens. Saving faith comes first, walking faith comes second. Now, walking faith also includes you confessing your sins to God. Too many Christians, when they get caught up in sin, they think, you know, oh, well, you know what, I already said sorry to God when I was saved back, you know, walked the trail, got baptized, and and they don't say, forgive me for talking to my children that way yesterday. Forgive me for what my eyes were looking at last night. Last night, forgive me for not reaching out to that person. We, as Christians, don't ask God for forgiveness for our daily sins. And we need to. We need to. We have to actually say the words, Father, forgive me for fill in the blank. We have to confess our sins to God. We do it once when we're saved, and we do it daily after we're saved. Confess your sins in prayer to God. That will breathe life into your prayer life. Number two, write this down. Confess your sins and pray with others. Pray with others. Just just look at the person next to you right now and say, you're not going to like this. You're not going to like this. Look at someone else and say, I'm not going to like this. I guarantee you this will be one of the most unpopular points in any sermon I've preached all year long, but I'm going to bring it. Here we go. 
It says in verse 16, Therefore, confess your sins to, read it, one another. And pray for one another that you may be healed. One another? Why would I go and do a thing like that? I already gave it to God. It's over. I don't need to tell anybody else. They don't need to get in my business. A man named F.W. Borum said, there's no business as great as other people's business. Isn't that true? Why do I want anyone in my business? They don't need to know about my sins. I told God. Is that, though, when you tell it to God, does that fulfill the full biblical requirement of what we're supposed to do with our sin? No. We have to tell it to others. Now, in the context here, James says it generally. It's a general rule. Confess your sins to one another, each other. Yes, in the context... There's elders visiting a sick person. So sure, it it could include the sick person who wakes up from an illness and the elders are like, did you do anything? Is there anything we need to know about? Sure, confess your sins to the church leaders. But some churches take that too far. You're not supposed to have to just go to the church leaders for confession. In the book of James, there's also believers who are sinning against believers. So confess your sins to one another could be, I'm sorry for what I did to you. Okay? But there's also this idea of accountability. We are confessing our sins to each other so we stay physically and spiritually healthy. Confess your sins and pray with others. You'll confess your sins to others when you believe that change begins with confession. You have to tell other people your true spiritual condition or you won't move forward. If you don't tell someone else honestly where you're at with the Lord, you won't move forward. Because Christianity is not a solo sport. You're a body. We are together, united in this walk. And God's plan to grow you is sitting right next to you. Are you honest with other people about your true spiritual condition? Does anyone know exactly where you really are with the Lord right now? Does your spouse really know where you're at? The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth about you and God. Does anyone besides your spouse, a a friend, family member, do they know where you're at? You have to confess your sins and pray and bring it into the light because sin grows in the darkness. Sin reveals our great need for accountability and our need for mentoring. It's one of the lessons that sin teaches us. And we have to let other people see our warts. We have to let them see things in our lives if we're really going to grow. I read an article recently about how Facebook paid a 10-year-old boy, a 10-year-old hacker in Finland, $10,000 because he found a fault in their system. Facebook offers this. They say, if anyone can find a flaw in our system or platform or whatever, we'll give you money. They would rather know about it now so that they can do the work of fixing it now before it's too late. And they own many platforms. So what this boy did was he found out that on Instagram, even without an account, he could could sneak in between the login and when you actually arrive at the page and somehow he could get into Instagram and erase anyone's post. Anyone. And so he contacted them and said, hey, there's a vulnerability. I figured you should know about this. And they're like, prove it. So he went on and he said, name the post. And he went in and he deleted the post. He said, I can delete anyone's post. And they're like, 
we want that fixed. Tell us how you did it, and we'll give you $10,000. Facebook values knowledge of the flaws, and they will pay to know about the flaws so they can fix them now rather than fix them later. Imagine if you started that program in your home. Kids, new program. Tell dad one of his flaws, I'll give you 50 bucks. I'll pay you to discover my vulnerable spots. I'd be broke by Friday. Oh, the list they would give me. They're watching us like a hawk in my right every day. They're watching us. But Facebook shows us when you value knowledge of your flaws because you want to become uh, better, more effective, and safer, you'll grow. And the system is protected now because they paid for that. Hey, do you have that same mindset? Boy, I value when someone tells me an area that the enemy can use to ruin me or my family. Do you have big ears when someone you know and trust comes and says, hey, I just want to talk to you about this area I think you could grow in. Do you seek that out? Maybe it's not $10,000 you're throwing out there, but do you talk to people as if you really value feedback from those who you trust? We have to confess our sins and pray with others if we're going to grow. But we don't. We don't. Instead, some of us, blinded by pride, neglect to admit our need for daily repentance. Uh, Others of us, burdened by guilt, neglect to believe that God has or God will fully pardon us. But here's the thing, whether it's pride or unbelief, we have to know that if we don't repent, confess our sins to God and to others, it ultimately boils down to self-righteousness. We're not doing it because we're self-righteous. We think we know better than God how to deal with our sin. We have to get it out in the open. Now, you need to know that you're a part of a church here that places a high value on accountability and mutual ministry. It's a safe place here to be open about your true spiritual condition. And that starts at the top. Our elders... Um, And our staff members, just to give you an example, uh, have an annual review every year. And uh, we use the same form. And the questions on that form can include everything from how's your spiritual walk with the Lord? How are your devotions going? Uh, What areas of defeat have you experienced this last year? Uh, Have you cheated on your spouse? How is, you know, how's your prayer life? I mean, we just go there and we talk about these things. Um, And that just speaks to our value of feedback, and we know that we can't do it alone. Now, we also have a leader team. Uh, There's like 50 people on our leader team, small group leaders, ministry leaders, and our leaders commit themselves to accountability before they even get on the leader team. At the end of our uh, Welcome to Leadership class, there's a a covenant, a leader covenant that everyone gets, and if they want to be a leader of anything in our church, they have to sign it. And they're making a commitment Uh, to various things. It says, for example, on that leader covenant, I will share my personal spiritual struggles immediately and openly. They've signed on the dotted line to do that. They've also, there are some things on that covenant that say, uh, like I'll display tremendous restraint in gray areas of scripture. I'll be cautious about what I say on social media. Uh, I'll be sure to get in a small group and I'll be sure to be at church on Sunday. Some of the no-brainers. But they know, the leaders know, they need other people holding them accountable. So they sign a covenant, and we all have that baseline commitment together. That sense of 
uh, accountability is supposed to trickle down into our small groups. And so our small groups are supposed to be places where you can be vulnerable, you can be open and honest with where you're at, and your small group leader knows and moves you forward. Here's a chart that shows you kind of the levels of depth that we're trying to get to. It starts with superficial conversation. You know, oh, what are you struggling with? Oh, I'm struggling with time management. Just can't get my time managed. Trying to get everything done. Very safe for me to confess that I'm struggling with time management. But after three years, you're still struggling with time management. You're struggling with dishonesty, too. You're lying. Oh, really? Clock management? Is that the, the biggest thing that's really weighing you down now? I don't think so. You move from superficial down to authentic, where people know the facts about your life. People know the facts about where you're at with the Lord right now. That's what it means to be authentic. You know me. Not the show, but me. Transparent means you're showing them things in your life that they can't see unless you show them. Okay, So you're being even more honest. They don't just know the facts. They know the feelings and some of the heart issues that you're dealing with. But really, at the bedrock here is you being vulnerable, which means you're sharing something that you know people could use to hurt you. Letting this out could lead you to pain. And you're sharing it anyway because you believe God's going to use these people to grow you. When you get to the point where you're being truly vulnerable, that's when God can really go to work in your life. And small group leaders, we're our small group leaders. Hold your hand up if you're a small group leader in our church this morning. All right, all right, Aaron, new dad, great, good to see you back here. Pat, good, Mike over there. All right, listen, our small group leaders, I'm about to preach to you, all right? This is for you. If your small group is stuck at the superficial level, it is 100% your fault. You need to start going deeper with them, being truthful about your victory and how God led you there, about your struggle and defeat in the past. You need to open up and tell them what God is really doing in your heart. If you're sharing about time management every week, why, how do you expect your small group is going to open up even more than that? I need you, small group leaders, to own the quality of mutual ministry that happens in your small group. And if you guys aren't going there as a group, it's your job to get your group there. Now, what does that take? It takes a lot of things. People need to know that there's going to be a, uh, there's going to be a secrecy to what's being shared there. You are not going to broadcast it on Facebook, right? And if they don't have that sense of confidentiality, they won't open up. There also needs to be this understanding that small group isn't the place I share everything. And frankly, there are some people who overshare in small group, and that intimidates everyone else who doesn't want to share all their business with everyone in the group. So you have to manage how things are being shared. You know, your small group is kind of like your oil change. You don't, you know, you go there to share your weekly, common, ordinary struggles. If you have something bigger and deeper, all right? Maybe you need to get your small group leader one-on-one and say, hey, listen, I didn't really want to say this in front of the whole group, uh, but I'm, I'm struggling in this area, and I want you to know about it, all right? But you have to have this understanding that you're going to get your group to open up and to be honest about where they're at. This is how and where and when we're going to confess our sins and pray with each other. The way we do that in small groups is, first of all, the format. We are uh, in, in every small group, we're supposed to have an opening time of fellowship and then a time in the Word where we're talking about the sermon or watching a video or doing a study. Then there's a period at the end where we break off into mutual ministry time. Men with men, women with women, and there's a list of accountability questions that we have, and we make our way through 
There's like 10 or 12 questions, and over the course of a few months, we'll get through all those questions. All right? Now, small group leaders, if that's not what's going on in your small groups, you need to get with the program. And if you're in a small group, and you're like, I've never seen a list of accountability questions. You have my permission to ask your small group leader, why are we not doing mutual ministry time? And it's been a long time since you guys have broken up into groups of men with men, women with women, small group leaders. I'm telling you, you are not leading a harvest small group. And it's time to start leading a harvest small group. Because in this church, we open up and we help each other to grow spiritually. And if you're just having brownie time, if you're just having coffee time, if you're just having Bible chat time, you're not getting the job done. And I need you to hear that from me. I don't want you to have to wait to hear it from Pastor Dave or Ken Henley. You're hearing it from me. It's your job to get people to open up about their sins and their victories in small group. All right? Small group leaders, I hope you just wrote all that down. I hope you let all of that into your heart because we're trusting you to grow the people that God has entrusted to you. Confess your sins and pray with others. You got to go deeper. I know what it means. To, to have seven root canals at the dentist. How many of you have had a root canal at the dentist before? Raise up your hand if you've had that. See, other people don't know pain like we know pain. Am I right? When you go to the dentist, people who haven't had root canals, they have that tiny little drill, and it just dances along the top of your teeth. When you have a root canal, look at the drill they bust out for that one. That drill goes all the way down to your toes. It zaps you. All right? And this is the level of depth we're going for. Why? Right? Check out this next picture. It's because when you go in with a root canal, the, there's an infection uh, all the way at the bottom of the tooth. <clears throat> so they've got to get to the root of it. And so they use a drill that's this big. <laughs> and small group leaders, if you're just, you're fine. It's time to get it done. Now, you might be saying, well, I'm not even in a small group. Hey, this is the perfect time to get into a small group. And if you're honest, you'll know that you need others around you to grow. We have to confess our sins to one another. Get into a small group, stay in a small group, and love each other in your small group. Then you'll move forward. All right, point one, confess your sins in prayer to God. Point two, confess your sins and pray with others. Point three, pray boldly for help, healing, and forgiveness. Pray boldly for help, healing, and forgiveness. It says here in James 5, verse 16, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Then it says generally, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, when he says the prayer of a righteous person, the context seems to dictate here that the righteous person is someone who has cleared up the infection of sin with God. They're going to God in a righteous standing. There's not these hidden sins, you know. They're coming to God with with a very short account that they're keeping with Him. And it's in that sense that the righteous person who's saved by grace, who's confessing their sins, has great power in their prayer life. And do you feel like your prayers are working? Do you have great power in your prayer life? Maybe one of the reasons you don't is because you're not confessing your sins to God. The Bible says that husbands, if you sin uh, against your wives, if you're harsh with them, that that hinders your prayer life. God's like, I can't hear you. I can't hear you because of the way you're talking to that girl. And God wants you to have no obstruction between you and him in prayer. 
Now, maybe your prayers aren't getting answered because you're not praying boldly. You know, it's powerful. It's effective. When we went through the life of Christ, the teaching of Christ a few years ago, I shared some helpful tips on prayer. Here's one of the things that I share. These are called the prayer gears. And you need each one of these gears turning to make your prayer life go. But the first one is boldness. Why would you ask for something that you don't need God to do, right? <laughs> I mean, boldness. Pray big. And if all you're praying for in your life right now is food, then grow in boldness. Hey, God's not blessing those chicken nuggets. I'm just telling you. You can pray as many times as you want and lay hands on them. They are no healthier at the end of the prayer than they were at the beginning. And if the sum total of your prayer life is food, it's time to get bold, all right? Ask for things that are impossible. Ask for mountains to fly through the sky. Boldness. Uh, but be, and then be confident. Be confident. What that means is this. Uh, from the time you ask to the time where you know what God's answer is, uh, act like you have a yes until you hear otherwise. All right, how can Jesus say, well, whatever you ask for in my name, believe you have it? How can I do that when I know that he doesn't answer a lot of prayer? How can I believe I have it? Well, he's giving you a command for the in-between. What should my heart be? What should my voice be from the moment I ask to the moment I find out if God says yes or no? It should be confidence. I have a loving God who wants to bless me and has made promises, so I believe he will. That should characterize the process while you wait, okay? But then you also have to be humble because God's going to say no. And when God says no, it's, you have to accept that. And that's where Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. Okay, but some people skip confidence, right? And they go from bold right to humble. Oh, Lord, move this mountain. But, but I, know, I know you're busy, so if you don't want to, it's okay. And you don't have to. Whoa, 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 where's the confidence? Uh, some people skip the boldness. And they're confident, but they're asking puny things. Oh, Lord, just, I know you're going to do something. Just do something. Just do anything. Great, you're confident, you're humble, but you're not bold. You've got to be bold, you've got to be confident, you've got to be humble. And then, look around, you've got to be loving. If your relationships are in disarray around you, God's not hearing what you're saying. So you have to be loving. And if you're only praying for yourself, the love gear isn't turning. Okay? And then finally, persistence. You keep asking and asking and asking and asking because God is hearing you. Pray boldly for what? For help, for healing, and for forgiveness. James covers the sum total of your needs in this passage. Anybody, are you sick? Pray. Are you sinful? Pray for that. And then he just says, because prayer is powerful and effective. That includes everything else. Pray for help. Pray for forgiveness. Pray for healing. Bring it all into the presence of the Lord, and then he'll go to work. One of my favorite quotes about prayer comes from one of the early church fathers, Chrysostom, uh, John Chrysostom, and he said this, The potency of prayer hath subdued the strength of fire. It had bridled the rage of lions, hushed the anarchy to rest, extinguished wars, appeased the elements, expelled demons, burst the chains of death, expanded the gates of heaven, assuaged diseases, repelled frauds, rescued cities from destruction, stayed the sun in its course. Prayer is a treasure, undiminished, a mine which is never exhausted. It is the root, the fountain, the mother of a thousand blessings. 
Prayer is powerful. Prayer is effective. And really what the Bible is saying to you today, what God is saying to you is this. Talk to God. Talk to God about your needs. Talk to God about your sins. Talk to God about your physical illness, your addiction, the chronic problems you can't break free from. Talk to God. Pray and ask for forgiveness. Confess your sins in prayer to God. Confess your sins in prayer to others. And pray boldly for help, for healing, for forgiveness, because your loving Father in heaven will hear you and he'll act. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the promise that whatever we ask for in prayer, in the name of your Son, you hear. Thank you that we can approach you in prayer. And so we do. We come into your presence with our hearts bowed right now, believing that your ear is attentive to our cry. And Father, we confess our sins to you. We confess how we have fallen short of your perfect and divine expectations. Father, we come into your presence admitting our great need for your mercy and grace. We ask for you to look upon us as we humble ourselves, to extend your hand, to lift us up. Father, I pray for those who have never in their lives confessed that they are sinful, criminal in your court of law, deserving of being sent away from you forever because of their life. Father, I pray for those who are ready to stop trusting themselves to admit the ugly black truth about how they've lived. Lord, those people who are ready to tell the truth about their sin to you, I just pray in their own hearts right now, they would say this with me, saying, Father, forgive me for my sins are great, but I know you sent Jesus into this world to take away my sins. I believe he died on the cross in my place. I believe that he rose again in glory. And here and now, I ask you, Jesus, wash my sins away. I confess them. I repent. Forgive me. Father, I just pray that the Spirit would bring freedom and liberation where there has been bondage, that even now there would be people whose hearts are rejoicing because they have been set free. And Lord, for those who are Christians who, who are caught in sin and who have not confessed it yet, I pray for them. I pray that right now they would be honest with you about where they're at. No more games, no more rationalization, no more embarrassment or fear. I pray that they would come clean, that they would tell you right now that they are sorry, they would ask for forgiveness and commit to opening up to someone this week about their struggles. Father, right now, give us a chance to confess our sins to you.
God, we pray that you would move in our hearts, clearing out the infection of sin that drags us away from you, takes away our joy. We know as King David sinned, he said, your hand was heavy upon me till I confessed. I pray, Lord, that those who are caught in a sin would confess it, they would be freed from it. Pray, Lord, as we're honest with you, that you would go to work meeting us, Lord. We can't change our own hearts. So we admit our need. I pray for our small groups, that you would fill the groups with love, making it a safe place for people to be open. Fill the groups with truth so that we would know your law. We would press on to obey you. Pray, Lord, that in this church we would be authentic, genuine, Pray that there would be real growth and progress, not superficial, artificial, surface-level Christianity. Pray that you would go deep and that the stories of life change would be astonishing. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that whatever sin we bring to you, great or small, you are able to take it away. You are willing to take it away. You are our good shepherd and our great high priest. And it's in your mighty name that we pray. Amen.